Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies, new and old. And for this episode, we are doing... Uh, a cult classic, I, I think I would say, and making his uh, triumph, uh, triumphant return, I think it's been about a year now, is uh, East Coast Justin from uh, Epic Film Guys. You know, it's funny because I, I love that I'm East Coast Justin now, which is a thing, which I, you know, I never put the stamp on it, but I guess uh, good old Winters from Sawyer Mary Movie Geek came up with it because we'd be doing those movie drafts on his show and we'd mention the name Justin and, well, we didn't know which one we were talking about. So I'm East Coast Justin. He's West Coast Justin. But yeah, man, it's been over a year since I was on for Predator, um, which I could talk about again. So if you ever want to talk about it again, I'm welcome. Uh, I'm always more than welcome to come on um but thanks for having me man i'm super pumped to talk about this movie tonight oh absolutely you know you kind of mentioned predator you guys will probably end up doing your own review on that but i am looking forward to the uh the, the shane black version coming out here in a few months yeah definitely I'm, I'm excited for it um a lot of people gave it hate a lot of people were hating on the first trailer um you know the the, the word is that they went in and they did a lot of reshoots recently and took out a lot of the Predator stuff and added in more kills. Um, for me, I don't care. It's Shane Black. Um, I'm down 100%. I thought the first trailer looked fun, so I'm open to anything new. I mean, come on. This is how many films into the series. It's like, whatever, dude. I'm totally down for something new and fresh, as long as it's still, at the core of it, a Predator movie. I, I wonder if they're already making comparisons to the original. You know, you had Arnold and um, uh, Jesse Ventura. You got like all these buff guys, and now you're looking at kind of just regular folk. You know, the yeah, yeah, just uh, Joe somebody basically. The the one thing I found interesting is this this rumor uh, slash theory fan theory that I'm sure you've seen the trailer right with the giant predator, the mega predator. Yes, yeah. Okay, the, there's a theory that they're because they're they're talking about this this hybrid thing where they're fusing their their DNA with human DNA that that mega predator used DNA from Dutch, from, from, <laughs> which is why he's so big. And it's, right, uh, right. That's a theory. So I, like I think it. that'd be that'd be funny and interesting. But I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. But right, because I know he he turned down being in the new movie because the part wasn't big enough. So Arnold supposedly is not in it. But it'd still be cool as a fan to see him show up to some capacity, even if he did show up for a cameo. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. All right. So, uh, you know, we'll reserve any more, uh, I guess, talk about Predator uh, for the right time. But uh, before we get into the, the Wraith, uh, this cult classic, you know, let's take a look, look back at when this uh, movie released. The number one song when it came out, I'm kind of familiar with it i listened back on it and i didn't recognize the song until the chorus came but it, but it's amanda by boston i've never been a big boston fan my dad growing up was a huge boston fan which to me, when I think of Boston, for some reason, I think maybe early 80s, like late 70s. Okay. Um, and this movie came out in 86, so it's like, 
strange to me that yeah. it's Boston. You know, because like, I mean, my 80s mix is vast. It's huge. But Boston's not on there for some reason. So I, I've, I'm familiar with the song. I've heard it. But it's not one of those that you hear playing on the radio all the time. No, no, not at all. So surprisingly, yeah, yeah it was like number one for two weeks. Um, the only other uh, movies that were worth noting that came out that same weekend, An American Tale. You know, personal favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one I've done. And Firewalker, that's a Chuck Norris movie I've never seen. I have it in my collection and I've never, I've never sat down to watch it. It came in one of those cluster packs of like four Chuck Norris movies and it's one (laughs) of the only ones on there that I haven't watched. So, okay. Interesting. So sue me. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, uh, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, Obviously, the Wraith came out that weekend and it it didn't do so well. This wasn't like a huge success. Um, you know, after watching it and, you know, I think you and I probably own the same copy. It's a special edition DVD. Did, That's right, yeah. yeah. Did you check out any of the uh, supplemental material? Oh, many times. And of course, in preparation for this episode, I went through them again. Because for me, um, one of my favorite things about buying Blu-rays, uh, DVDs, or anything are the supplemental features uh, that are added in, uh, when you can hear the filmmakers, the production, talk about the movies. And especially with, with the production of this movie, it's extremely interesting. The only thing that I have a problem with is that there's not more of it. Because uh, the, the movie, the production um, kind of has this this shadow cast on it because of well, one single thing that happened on the on the film. But uh, you definitely, I, I, I think it's, they did a fantastic job with those features. I just wish it was out on Blu-ray. Yeah, I hear you. I oh, hear you. man. Yeah, I could have used a, a Blu-ray. I was actually um, very pleased with what we do get with the special edition DVD, uh, just because when you look at something like a The Wraith movie, you, you, all, you, all you're usually getting is like a trailer, you know, on a DVD. Yeah. So we, we got... Um, we, we had a clip, you know, with the, uh, the, the guys who put the car together, you know, the, the turbo interceptor. And also you had some commentaries with, uh, the director, writer, and also Clint Howard, you know, had a bit of an yeah. interview. But the, the one incident that you spoke of, that was the surprise to me, um, because after watching it for the review this time around, this is actually the first time I saw the supplemental material. So I didn't know about the, the one death though. Um, what, what did they say? It was like a grip or something like somebody, a cameraman or. Yeah. Bruce Ingram. He was a camera operator who died. They were loading people on the car and there was too many people for the size of the vehicle they were using to shoot. Um, and they were behind the turbo interceptor and the other car that was doing a chase sequence. And they were going around a really uh, sharp corner and the vehicle was just overloaded with people and it wasn't built properly. And a bunch of people flew off, literally off into a cliff. And uh, Bruce Ingram is one of the ones that died. Um, somebody else was fatally injured, but they they lived. But he's the only one that actually died. And a few other people were just like knocked out and basically laying there. But yeah, so, yeah. So it was an oversight, I think, by the production. I mean, they they had come out and said during uh, the special features that a lot of the stuff they were working with was not totally safe and was kind of new, and they weren't really happy with the safety on all the stuff they were using, especially the cars. Um, but they just went ahead and went along with it and filmed it anyways. Yeah, I'm sure it was very low budget, and uh, the director, I, I think he even mentions in his interview that he wasn't working for like at least three years. And like, yeah, when, well, yeah when he first got a job, uh, an electrician 
found out who he was and told like the producer they they let him go as he yeah, they, like, they booted him off off yeah. a show off a television series too yeah. nonetheless you know that is crazy and, and unfortunately i mean to be honest with you looking at his filmography after this movie i i I've honestly see watching this movie he possibly had a future in making movies such as this um and I think that this movie and the reputation he gained from the occurrence that wasn't even necessarily his fault. Um, there's no way we'll really know one way or the other. Um, but it kind of ruined his career. If you look at what he's been doing since then, I mean, he's executive produced a handful of things, nothing really notable. And he never directed anything with the cult status like the Wraith has, you know. So it's it's unfortunate. I mean, on our end, we're just fans of the movie. We don't really know whose fault it was. But a lot of things get overseen uh, in movies a few years before that. I mean, the Twilight Zone movie, John Landis, uh, you know. He two children died on set with that movie, you know, and things in Hollywood were different in the 80s. And um, sometimes directors just pushed forward, even though they knew things weren't right. And well, people get hurt, people die. So yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Um, so another reason that uh, I, I did have you on this particular episode is uh, I think this is a rarity for especially for this movie. But both you and I have seen this before. Uh, yeah. So what is your history <laughs> with this movie? Um, I didn't watch this movie until I was in my late teens. Um, there used to be, when I did most of my high school years, I was up in upstate New York in a small town called Hamilton, New York, and they had a very small video store, tiny. It wasn't a blockbuster. It was just a mom and pops. Um, and I, I remember knowing the owner. We'd go over and bother him. We'd harass him. He'd always be out there smoking cigarettes in his lawn chair. Um, and it was one movie that we always saw that was on the shelf. No one ever rented it. And I loved the cover. I mean, the cover is so cool, you know. Um, so me and a few buddies, we we – we rented it one night and we got his uh, mom to buy us a bottle of Captain Morgan and we drank it. We watched it and I really liked it a lot. I mean, I liked the soundtrack, which, which we'll get to, of course. Um, but I, I had a blast with it and I didn't revisit it until I think maybe seven years or so ago when I started collecting a lot more again after, um, I got with my wife and I knew we were going to be together for a while. And she finally accepted that I collect movies. And I went through this time frame where I wasn't allowed to collect anything. And then I was like, I'm going to collect again. And that was one that I was like, oh, my God, I need that for my collection. And then when I was telling you pre-show, I went to a horror convention and I found it in a bin for $3. So Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my memory of this movie, it goes as far back as um, I want to say third grade, uh, at least wow. third grade. And – I remember owning a copy of this, you know, when, when, uh, uh, my old man used to record like, you know, two, three, four movies on a single VHS tape. Yeah. Those were the days. Those were the days. And this was one of those movies that he recorded and on the label, he actually miswrote it as the wrath. So he was missing an (laughs) eye. So for years I was calling it the wrath and. I had these, uh, two brothers, uh, that, that were not my brothers, but, uh, my friends. They were brothers, the Keevney brothers. And, uh, they, they were my best friends and they'd come over all the time. And this, for whatever reason, this was just the one movie we'd always throw on. Like they'd come over and they'd be like, Hey man, let's watch The Wrath. <laughs> and so we would watch The Wrath and we, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is because, you know, we're in elementary school. I mean, was it, was it the cars? I never really got into cars. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, was it that one shot of maybe? Or, or, one or two shots of breast. I mean, hey man, when I was that young, I, I had stripes on VHS, and I would just fast forward to the part <laughs> where the chicks in the shower. Sure, you know, maybe it was that. You know, you know it, it could have been. Um, I do remember the scene where Loomis walks into uh, walks in, and Packard, you know.
you know, is 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 with a yeah. young lady. I do remember that, but I re I don't remember too much in like the flashback scenes because those are cut it cut in a certain way where you know you if you blink you completely miss it. Um, I don't think it was that either, you know. But th- there was something about this, and maybe it's like the wraith himself, you know, it, that that could be it. Maybe his car, just because it's so unique from everybody else's. Um, but this is one of those guilty pleasures that, you know, it's, it's a bad movie, but I love it. And, oh yeah. And then I think I rediscovered it again, uh, on another podcast, uh, some years ago. And, you know, again, off mic, you and I we were kind of talking and I mentioned how, how did this get made? Did a live taping of this just a few months ago. And I'm like, man, I, I got to do that myself because I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And then I went out and bought it. So, um, yeah, I, I had a blast revisiting this. Uh, I don't think there was any new scenes, you know, like how there hasn't, there's a movie that you haven't seen in so long where you rewatch and you're like, Oh man, I don't remember that. Now, right. every scene was pretty much the same. The details, you know, were a little bit different because now I'm older and I can understand some things. So we'll definitely get into some of those, uh, misconceptions or whatever as a kid. Well, you were a teen. So maybe it was a little bit different for you. And, and I didn't watch it in a serious way. It was just one of those movies where, and we did this every Friday. So I'd go to my buddy's house. His parents may or may not buy us alcohol. Just being honest here. <laughs> and we would have marijuana and whatever. And we would just hang out and party in his bedroom and watch movies because literally he lived two houses over from the laundromat which was connected to the video store so we just walked over there we would harass the guy we knew the one young kid we went to school with that helped work at the register and he would just let us rent whatever we wanted so that's what we did and that was why we rented that so yeah so a little bit more details on the wraith for those that either haven't seen it or it's been such a long time. Um, on Wikipedia, it says that the Wraith tells the story of an Arizona teen who mysteriously returns from the dead as an all-powerful street racer intent on taking revenge on the gang who murdered him. Um, that's, God, that sounds so great, doesn't does, it? It, it really <laughs> does. I'm not going to lie. That is a tagline if I've ever seen one. Um, so a little bit about the cast. Uh, Charlie Sheen plays the, the Wraith uh, as the lead there. Now, do you think... I, I mean, I guess he's credited as the Wraith as well. Is that really him in the suit, do you think? See, that's what I'm cu- very curious of, because even though he was still up and coming at the time, I really don't see Charlie Sheen getting into that outfit. Um, I, I looked a little bit and, and couldn't find any information on if he actually suited up or not. Um, because there are some shots in the film where the helmets, the, the, the face mask on the helmet is up when the gun's being shot, for safety purposes, of course. And... I think they're shooting at an angle so you can't see whose face it is. So I don't know, but I would have to assume probably not. That's just my opinion. I would like to think that it's him. The reason I bring it up is because um, I, I've i never seen, I don't recall Charlie Sheen and Nick Cassavetes standing, you know, next to each other. But the Wraith looks a lot shorter than Nick Cassavetes, you know, like in the in the scene of the chop shop. Like Nick Cassavetes is noticeably a lot taller, and so and having said that, the helmet looks a lot bigger than the actual body of the Wraith too. So uh, at this time time around, I was just like, the guy looks kind of small and not as intimidating as I remember. Um, yeah, I, I and I do wonder if if that's why he has like all of those. I don't know if they're enhancements or what. You know, like around his body, is that supposed to make him? Look yeah, they're, they're like little 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 metal braces. pieces yeah. that yeah little braces that seem to come off each time somebody dies. They seem to mysteriously disappear. Um, I think that the helmet is larger um, on purpose. 
to give him a, a different look to make him more, look more like a superhero character, which make no mistake, this is definitely more like a, a cartoonish comic book vibe to this movie. Yeah. Um, but I think it's to make it look like it's not just a helmet sitting on his head to look like something cooler. You know what I mean? Cause he obviously had to wear a helmet because he's, he's a racer and that's the whole concept and the theme and everything. But I think they wanted to make it look like. When you saw his silhouette, because there's so much of just the silhouette in this movie with him standing behind, in front of something and that you just see his shape, not unlike Michael Myers in Halloween or something. You know, we get a lot of fog and mm-hmm. really cool purple and blue lighting on him. And then you just see the shape and his silhouette there. And I think it was just to add more of an element of this this mysteriousness to the character. That's just my opinion, though, okay. I think. Um, I mean – who knows? I'm still hoping it's Charlie Sheen under yeah. there. I mean, there, if I ever, you know, run into him on the street at one of these things I go to, I'll be like, hey, was that you in the costume? We'll see what he has to say. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's senile or not yet, but. I'll shoot him a tweet. Let's see if he responds. <laughs> I mean, I, I did get a response from uh, Ryan Philippi, you know, from uh, Cruel Intentions. I asked him if that was his real butt in one scene. He's like, of course it is. So we'll see. You know, maybe Charlie Sheen will uh, reply. Um, let's see here. We got, uh, Sherilyn Finn, the beautiful Sherilyn Finn, uh, as Carrie. Uh, she plays the love interest. Uh, Randy Quaid, kind of a smaller role. Well, maybe not so small. In the first half, he's kind of really non-existent and really comes on in the second half yeah, of the movie. That's right. He plays a giant piece of ham in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, and also we got Clint Howard as Rughead. He's kind of like the, the brains of not the operation, but he's the brains of the gang and the really, I, I guess, more innocent and um, kind of more. Well, he's he's a total nerd. He he is the brain of the operation. He's the one that's in there doing all the the dirty work and, and working on all the cars. He's also got those huge bulbous giant glasses and the huge Einstein hair. Right. right. Um, I love seeing Clint Howard show up in all these random movies whenever he does these little bit parts and everything. He he's hilarious in the movie. Um, but he he's basically like that. In, in the eighties, they always had to have that one nerdy character. If it wasn't a Revenge of the Nerds movie, and there was there had to be a nerdy character in there uh, and i think he was just that one guy you know and he's also the guy that you know starts the races right um that's what i would, I would say he's the brainiac of the operation okay we got uh, i mentioned nick cassavetes earlier he plays packard who's like our main baddie uh yes that nick cassavetes from uh face off also that's right and the, yeah. the same he went on to he went on notebook. to direct the notebook man <laughs> yeah, yeah right. come on i mean it's so weird to think of that when you're watching you're like this guy though this guy directed the notebook i mean i think he's i think he's very menacing in the movie in the scenes that require him to be mm-hmm. but watching it it's like wow that got that guy okay yeah. Totally. No, I remember watching The Notebook, like, was it 2003? And I was like, oh, who directed this? Nick, Nick Cassavetes. I've seen that name before. And then I looked it up. I'm like, no way. Packard from The Wraith. Um, funny enough, my wife was just watching the, the Notebook the other night. And that was, that was the first thing I thought about. So, like, is this some sort of sign? Because, like, I'm supposed to be recording on The Wraith pretty soon. So, um, so there we go. He's still uh, doing things. Uh, just a couple other names to throw out there. Uh, Skank is played by David. David Sherrill, he, I really like his character. He is this guy who likes to get stoned and wasted off of like, Hydraulic, hydraulic fluid. fluid, dude. Yeah. What the hell is that, dude? <laughs> yeah. Like, if anything, I'm I'm happy to know that you watched this as a kid and you didn't go out to your your dad's garage and start drinking like, <laughs> you know, like windshield yeah. washer fluid or something. It's it's very strange idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, you know, this time around watching it, I uh, as an as an adult, I was like. I wonder what that does to somebody, though. You know, I did get curious. But yeah, as a kid, I was just all like, 
I, I didn't know what that was. You know, he could have been spraying like hairspray into his mouth. And yeah, I didn't even question it. Um, and his, uh, his right hand man is Gutter Boy, played by uh, Jamie Bozian. And, um, anybody else you think worth mentioning? We got the, how about Billy? Matthew Barry plays Billy, who is, Kind of Charlie Sheen's brother a little bit, you know. We'll get into yeah, those details. Kind of, well, I mean, I guess, I guess we could say he definitely is his brother yeah. in a way. He's calling him um, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, we well, we know who Charlie Sheen really is at the end of the movie. But I mean, I don't know how far you like to get into spoilers on your show. At, at our show, we've just finally decided we're just gonna tell you everything. Oh yeah, um, and tell you right off the bat. You know, if you want to see it on your own, watch it first. But in this case, I don't really think it makes or breaks the movie either way. No. Um, but I think I think Matthew Barry, it, it, there's a couple of scenes in this movie, and not to go off and get started already, but he, he's very good in a few moments where he really needs to be good, where he needs to really emote and show emotion. Um, I think th- I think he does uh, serve his purpose well. And he, he, he had some comic relief as well. I think that one of my favorite scenes um, is when Ode Packard shows up to the burger joint and he's like, you know, getting on his case and he's like, you better watch out or I'm not going to make your burgers like you like him with the Thousand Island dressing. You know, <laughs> he's good. He's got a good comedic sense to him in this movie. He does. Uh, I don't know him from anything else, really. Uh, on Wikipedia, his name doesn't even have a, a hyperlink. So It doesn't, no, it yeah. doesn't. <laughs> I wonder if he's got anything else. Poor guy. Yeah. But uh, that's pretty much it for the cast. But uh, to answer your question about the whole spoilers, this is a 32-year-old movie. You know, we're going to spoil this. We're going to talk about the scenes and, and, and everything. So let's, let's go ahead and jump in into it. I want to get your thoughts on this amazing opening of a movie. We got this uh, great song, and also it's like I never noticed it until this viewing. But you got like four balls of light that are coming from different places, and then they meet up in the middle of a road, forming like this black car that has like no identifying marks of any sort. I mean, you can see like the the Dodge emblem or whatever uh, yes, in yes, close up, yeah. but also the look of the wraith. This is our opening. What do you think? I love it. Um, I think especially thinking about you watching it as a kid. I wish I got to see this as a kid because <laughs> I know I would have loved it. It just It's got this imagery that's straight out of a comic book and almost like a lot of the cartoons we were watching as a kid in the 80s, like like Mask or Silverhawks or Thundercats. Like It's got this imagery that's very like over the top but beautifully done. Um, I think... And, Whenever they were shooting this film, like they really put a lot of care into the way it looked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got like that purple and blue hue to everything like that. Um, I really love the opening. It's energetic. It really puts you into this world, like what you're in for. Um, and I mean, for me, like the thing that is so special about this movie is is the low budget, but yet it almost gets to like Mad Max level with the car chases and and, and the car stuff. Like I think it's just fantastically done. Oh, absolutely. Everything is, um, uh, they, they mentioned that there was no CG, uh, CGI at this time, so everything was... Well, they did it for real, is basically the way they put it. Like, it, there was no way to hide anything, so they had to do it for real. Right. Um, every, every, every twist or turn around a corner, or hey, if they're going to shoot a, a chase at night, they shot the chase at night, you know what I mean? Like, they had to, to work around that, and they were using real fast cars, and they were going really fast. And 
In this opening, we also see see uh, Packard's gang. You know, they don't have a name or anything. They're just these street thugs. But they force, like, some dude into a race. Like, this guy's just minding his own business with his girlfriend <laughs> driving <laughs> down the road. It's hard for me not to laugh at this, almost, because, like... I mean, this is the quintessential 80s, like, bad guy. Like, literally, we're just out to get everyone. We're just waiting on the side of the road for the most innocent person to drive by, and we're going to get you. We're going to get you good. And in this case, they make the, the, the guy race. They're grabbing at his girlfriend, who's beautiful, mind you. And then they force him to race. They cheat. Then he, you know, basically gets fucked out of his car, man. I mean, he loses his car. They steal his car. They fondle his girlfriend. He's left out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, it's like, but but again, it's like, that's what sets you up to know, like, these guys mean business. These are the bad guys in town. They don't fool around. They're untouchable. And I, I get, going back to what I was saying before, um, you know, I think that Packard is, is a pretty good villain for this kind of movie. I mean, he, he is very cartoonish, but at times, like, when he pulls out the switchblade in, in that scene there when he takes the car, He's very threatening, and he's you, you buy into it. What I like about this scene is because we we see him cheat, and you know he's not going to pretend that he didn't. But the guy, he's just like, "You cheated! You ran me off the road." It's all about the pink slips. We, he has a chop uh, chop shop, so he's trying right. to be as legit, you know. And I'm using air quotes here, trying to be as legit as he can, because clearly we find out later that him and Loomis have some sort of relationship. You know, Loomis knows. All of his boys, they, they, they know what cars each of, each of them drive. So when somebody dies, it's like, Oh, that's Augie. You know, it's like, wow, you know, they, they, that's how these guys, they run the streets. So I guess, you know, forcing somebody to giving up their pink slip, you know, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I definitely. And it's a nice car too. You know, I, I just, I always felt so bad for that guy because he, you know, just saying, he's a very attractive guy, and his woman is very attractive, and then he's going to get pushed around. He's in this nice car um, by these thugs. But, you know, that's why I really like that opening. It's it's uh, it's very fun in a sadistic way yeah. to see them come in and, like, you know, strong arm them. Like, you're going to race. And, you know, I mean, I guess that's what you get for having a fast car, a fast sports car, you know? Yeah, yeah. We get the introduction of Jake, played by Charlie Sheen. It's kind of funny because I guess he's new in town and he's just minding his own business. He sees Carrie, played by Sherilyn here. He's just like, hey, is this the way to Willow? I, I kind of forget the name of the town. And she, yeah. I guess she's ha- happening to be like going that way anyway. But there's something about him. There's something about him. And she's like, you know what? I'll tell you where to go, uh, how to get there. Hops on his bike, but Packard, Packard kind of interrupts. Of course he does. Of course he does. Like he does many more times than the rest of the movie. Sure. He just seems to show up at the most convenient time. But um, I, what I love about the way Sheen shows up is he literally just kind of, you just see him roll over in, in, in the on the bike. And oh, there he is. Okay. Th- this is him showing up, you know. And just loving that 1980s Charlie Sheen. Hey, I even like, I even like early 90s Charlie Sheen. He just got this aura about him, you know, like when he, when he pulls up, you meet, you're like, Oh, it's Char, it's, it's eighties Charlie Sheen, you know, it's before you knew he had like a thousand STDs and he banged <laughs> hookers for a living, you know, it's like, and, and there, there's a, a pretty decent chemistry. I think him, um, with him, with him and Fenn in the film, um, I just love his introduction. It's 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 extremely '80s corny in every sense of what that means, but uh, but I love it. And then I just love that the the next scene is 
And I'd, I'd like to believe this is a real thing where kids literally just go sit on like these rocks next to the water in Arizona. and just hang out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, well, it's Arizona, but yeah, but the way that I envision it, like really kids are just, just their day off. They're just going to hang out and, and, and sit next to the water and, you know, well, like a little, yeah. I'm thinking it's like over 110 degrees. That's, that's what I'm thinking about. Like this is a thing they do. I, I guess so. You know, uh, they go floating and sitting on the rocks. Uh, but there we kind of, we meet Billy again. We kind of mentioned him. That is, um, Jake's kind of brother. I guess Jamie is the guy that dies, right? So he's the guy that dies. Yeah. After he bangs, <laughs> he's in the middle of getting, getting laid and he gets killed. So he gets killed by Packard and the guys. Let's, let's talk about that real quick. Why do you think he comes back? Okay. So he's back to avenge himself. What, why can't he tell Billy who he is and why is he Jake and not Jamie? Well, I think that's what we like to call in the movie world a twist. <laughs> okay. they, they don't want you to know immediately. And, and it's funny because you're asking me the same question my wife was asking. She didn't watch the whole movie tonight, but she came up during a, a very a, a certain part in the film where she's like, wait, if he's that guy, why doesn't he just tell them? Or why doesn't he look like that guy? And I said, well, that would take away from the mystery of it. Because if it showed up and it was the same guy, then everyone, everyone would say, you died. You know, why are you back? How are you back? So it's it's trying to add that mystery to have that the the audience member guessing, oh, is it really him? Like for you to have that suspense uh, throughout the film to see if it's actually going to turn into the guy or if it's going to turn out to be the guy. Um, You know, I think that he just wants to lead everyone to believe he's somebody different so he can basically work his magic and basically terrorize this gang and and get his vengeance. You know, I think my problem with all of that is, and no, I uh, clearly that's the idea of it, but why give him those scars on his back? Because if he is in the form of somebody else, he shouldn't have any scars. Like why are those physical scars still there from getting stabbed and, and cut up and stuff? You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think it's just the only little Easter egg, so to speak, or, you know, little uh, clue that we get as the audience member, because we don't even see, really see the the scarring until later in the movie. So I think it's just that way to connect the dots. No, I pr- he, he's laying down. When when Billy comes to introduce himself, which is also kind of a funny scene, he's like, hey, so I can lay here? Or, you know, I'm not allowed yeah. over at those rocks, so I can lay next to you. Right. But, but he looks at uh, at Jake's back and he sees him. Right, but what I'm saying is, is we as the audience member don't see oh, the how the scars are, yeah, the, the death until later on in the movie in, in its entirety. I see. So I think for the audience member, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's obviously probably a plot hole in its own way, but I mean, we're supposed to see the scars as the audience member. They're, they're, there's a focus on them. Right, So right. we see them. We immediately notice them because we're like, hey, Charlie Sheen doesn't really have these scars on his back, does he? Um but but it is a thing that we remember throughout the film. So later on when we do see the killing and they do zoom in on it and they focus on it in that scene, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I just connected the dots. I think it's just it's a very simple way for the audience member to go, okay, now I know who he is and why he's there. Right. Yeah. You feel rewarded for that you know, if you're yeah. paying attention for sure. Uh, the very first race that we get, it's against Augie. So they kind of pull up to – what is that burger joint? Something Mary or – 
God damn it! I you know I I don't know the name of the burger uh, joint. Neither do I. So they they pull uh, the the wraith shows up at the burger joint and Packard has a hard on for this car, right? So he's like he's asking Rughead, which is a uh, Clint Howard's character. He's like, hey, you ever seen one of those? And he's like, no, let's let's add it to our collection and then let's find out what it is. So I I do like the writing in that. Um, but in this first race that we we see, uh, it's it's really nice. It's intense. And, you know, this is going to be the first of many times where at the very end, the Wraith kind of drives off, you know, and then there's like seconds before the uh, his opponent kind of like runs into him and then dies. But every victim, they, for whatever reason, not a scratch. They just, you know, they're not burnt up or anything. They're just, they're just missing eyes. Do you have any thoughts to why that is the that way? I feel like it's the filmmaker's way of... of uh resorting not resorting to the mpaa uh you know basically shitting all over their movie i mean this is this movie came at a time when the mpaa really was very harsh on violence in movies especially if you had nudity in your movie um i mean there is violence in the movie make no mistake but i feel like it's mild compared to the other movies of the time okay um i don't know if it's supposed to be because he's like this uh, angelic type character mm. and he's trying to kill them in a more pure way, like have them kill themselves b- based on their own bad actions, like their own, um, not greed, but like um, their own overconfidence in themselves and to win and to steal and to take from others. That's the only thing I could think of because it's more of a pure way of death that I, I, I mean, I, I don't see the film working the same way as if they actually showed them, laying there all bloody and gruesome like it, it just right. doesn't make sense to me because uh the wraith character um is kind of, kind of a light character you don't hear him cussing he's not mean he's not mean spirited or anything except for he's in the costume but even then you don't see him blowing people away you don't see him slashing at people and this is right in the midst of you know pure 80s action and slasher film. So I think it was just their way to set itself apart from the other stuff in the genre at the time. Yeah. Instead, he uh, kind of blows away the chop shop. So he uh, he goes to the chop shop, and I, I kind of like this too, because like the setup, it's almost, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the horror movies there, but you get this POV of him like walking to the yeah, garage. Yeah, I love it so much, dude. It's so Very good. Very 80s throwback slasher type there. Yeah, he shows up and he's shooting up everybody's car and i think they're working on like some really nice engine as well that they were going to put in the corvette yeah and then he like basically blows it away <laughs> um yeah and rockhead's like no i did like basically he just worked on this thing for how long and like no um the one thing about that scene though for me is that um the whole time packard is just not he doesn't seem to be moved by it at all he's not scared um which i kind of wish he was a little bit more intimidated because he kind of just stands there like what are you doing here? Get yeah. out, you know, like whatever. Like there's no, there's no fear. Like for me, like the image of this character, the silhouette, like what they worked on. That's one thing they nailed in this movie is when he's, when he's in the shot, it's like, that should be more frightening to the bad guys to me. So I know that Packard's supposed to be this like ice cold, like nothing can touch me villain, but I would have liked to see a little bit more fear, but I get why they probably didn't do it at the time. Cause they wanted it to build until the end when he finally, quote unquote got his but i love that scene so much um that's one that stands out to me because it's so well shot too by the way um and i love the actual production design in that i 
pretty sure that was an actual chop shop or an actual like um, garage, you car know, garage, yeah, car garage or something. The neon lights. It just makes me wish I could take my car there now to get it worked on. You know, yeah, fucking neon lights all the way around, man. It was so sick. It, it looks really good, and I like the way it ends too. Uh, Skank found his way to he somehow he climbed up to like the the, the ceiling. <laughs> he's probably yeah. the most scared even gutter boy like he just hid under a car or something like that i thought that was pretty funny yeah uh the the next race we got i i think his name is minty um i didn't uh yeah minty i think it's his name it, it at first it looks like the, the the wraith was gonna challenge packer but minty's like oh let, let me get this you know because of the chop shop so i do like the writing where he's like no, no let me let me take this because it's the only way they could they could push him in right. four to pack so that we could get packer you know later. just a number number off the list and and push the movie forward yeah and uh, again it's it's all about the writing but uh they decided Rughead, Clint Howard's character, he built like some kind of like a, a radio killer, you know, basically like if he takes off the rate that is that uh, it will shut down his engine. And I think that was just a way to kind of like show us the engine. So I thought that was exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That little money shot where they open it up and you hear the <laughs> sound effect. And then he looks at it. He's like, you got to see this. He's like, just put it in there. Let's get this started. But when you look at it, you see like the little, the red lighting around it and everything. It's like a little bit. I love one of my favorite things about 80s movies is whenever they show like electricity or lightning, it's always the same effect and it's still, right. it still holds up yeah. to me. And you have like the lightning going around it and everything, it's all red and everything. I love that. And it definitely as a kid watching it, if I, if I, if I did see it as a kid, I probably would have been in all over it. Cause you're like, whoa, I've never seen that before. And having the engine in the back, of course. Um, I mean, I grew up driving a Fiero. Or riding in a fair with my with my my uncle, and the engine was in the back, and he used to always show it to me, and I thought it was cool. So it's a neat thing. Oh, the engine's in the back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, it's cool. I mean, the DeLorean. There's no engine in the front. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. The you know, aside from like some of those like lightnings and stuff like that, the word I was trying to think of earlier, this movie is entirely practical. That it's yeah, practical effects is is the word I was looking for. But the, the engine looks amazing. Packer doesn't even want to see it, which I still kind of question. Like, he doesn't want, you know, like, you want to keep your enemies close, right? And uh, I, I feel like, why does he, he want to see what he's it, up against? It's, it's his arrogance. It's his arrogance because be, he, he has yet to be beaten at this point. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's he's starting to get pummeled by the Wraith, it, it's, it's, it's pushing his confidence overboard. And he's really just, let's get it over with. We're, we're going to beat him. I'm so used to winning. Let's get this out of the way and let's finally fucking beat him. You know? So I think it's just his overconfidence in the situation leads him to go, I don't need to see it. Let's just get this over with. Right. And he obviously doesn't care about losing his gang. No. Um, you know, he even says like losing Augie wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, he, Correct me if I'm wrong with with the actual dialogue there, but it, you could tell that's put in the script so you know this guy does not care about anything. He just wants to get his way regardless of who gets killed in the long run. Right, absolutely. Uh, so we got this scene where Jake picks up Carrie from work uh, and they're chased by Skank and Gutter Boy. Um, I kind of like this because this is like one of the longest sequences in the movie. So not only are they being chased... After the chase, Packard kind of sees like Carrie getting dropped off again from Jake, uh, but then he gets rear-ended by the Wraith. Like this is all in one night too, man. And then like yeah. we get that scene in the cemetery. Um, thoughts on that? Uh, you know? Oh, I, I, it's literally I probably one of my favorite sequences throughout the film, especially the cemetery. But I'll get to the cemetery. Um, 
There's one thing about this movie, and I said it earlier on in the review, is that this thing holds up as far as the car chase sequences are concerned. It's not quite on the level of a Mad Max movie, but it's almost there in terms of quality. Is the way that they're shot, the energy. I mean, you can tell it's real. Um, and the way the cars are choreographed. I mean, the way that they, they drive around each other. Um, one scene in particular in this sequence is where they're in like a little bit, like, like they're under a, a bridge or something. And the motorcycle's up on like the sidewalk and the, and the car is underneath and they're shooting it sideways. And I don't know how they got this shot because it's from up above and it's done so well. Um, it, it's literally mind numbing to me, like how, how well it was done for the budget they had. And then they shoot out. And I, I like that it's at night too. I just love night car chases. Cause usually when you see car chases, they're almost always in the daytime because you get proper lighting. They're easier to do. You get permits. They're much cheaper to do during the day. Um, and in this case it's at night and I love the fact that it's that night. And then of course, the only thing that bothers me a little bit, even though later on he gets it is, is skank lit the gutter boy. They live. Yeah. They, they live during this. You're like, oh, bad car wreck. it is a bad car wreck. And then they kind of get out and you're like, wait a minute. What happened there? And like, I was expecting the car. I, I want to see it blow up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it lands <laughs> against the building, which, you know, they can't blow it up against the building um, unless it's a set building. But and then I think that when it leads to um, uh, the cemetery sequence, it's one of my favorites ever. I think it's probably iconic for the movie because you get that one shot, the amazing shot behind a headstone and what headstone is it it's actually packard's name on the headstone itself and you've got that fog just billowing around him and his silhouette and he's kind of standing there in an iconic pose and it's just really badass it's like really what a comic book movie would have done before a comic book movie was even really a thing at the time yeah, and I, I like how it is in the cemetery because it adds that little haunting imagery. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, so it, it gives you that little feel. Little spooky. A yeah. little spooky. Uh, but that chase scene, it's, um, you know, with Skank and Gutter Boy, like the least, tra- I don't know, <laughs> these guys, they're they're not even to be feared. We, we didn't really talk about Gutter Boy, but he's kind of like the pet of the group. You know, he's the one that they all pick on. He, he's kind of like a very, you know, meek kind of character, like kind of talks like water boy a little bit you know so you know he doesn't even know how to handle yeah, he's, a shotgun. He's, he's, he's stuttering constantly <laughs> um you know he's dealing with skank and skank's constantly drinking the hydraulic fluid and he's kind of mean to him he like beats up on him a lot and so he's he's kind of like the lackey he's like literally the weak link of the group and to be honest with you uh, if if you wanted to build a successful gang, I don't even know why you would employ such a person because he doesn't seem to really be that good at what he does but I don't know. You're right. You know, maybe he's just, you, you know what it is? They needed Skank, and Skank is uh, working for Gutterboy's uncle. That's right. That's right. I yep, think in that's the, what it in was. the junkyard, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is, mind you, isn't it? It looks like it's like a plain junkyard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Kind of like cool all scene. kinds of, yeah, it's very cool scene. It's, it's amazing with the budget they had in this movie. Uh, the, the amount of things they were able to do, like with, with them shooting at night in this town, you know, the permits they got for that. And not to get so technical, I know that's boring to some people, but you know, they're, they're shooting at this like plain junkyard and they have a lot of different locations here uh, that are really interesting and visually, uh, you know, uh, nice to, to look at as well. You know, it's for the budget that it has, it's very well shot and it looks very nice. It doesn't, there's a lot of movies during that period that would have had the same budget or maybe a little bit lesser of a budget that would look like garbage. Like the filmmaker wouldn't even know what to do with it. Um, 
But in the case of The Wraith, I think that Mike Marvin th- that directed it and wrote the film, you know, he had built up to this. He had led up to this with doing stuff on other movies. And I think that he had an expertise in doing stuff like this. That's why he knew he was ready to make this movie. And I think it shows. Yeah, it's the, you, you kind of, you know, we touched on the airplane junkyard. The, 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 the thing with Gutter Boy for his character it could be written as really cheesy, but I think Jamie Bosian, yeah, he plays him so well that you just kind of, you got to feel bad for him at times. You know, like in the airplane junkyard, he's going around stamping things saying, okay to fly. You know, he's just stamping everything, like everywhere, like the signs of like bad planes and everything. He's just, ha- you know, it, you just feel bad because he's not quite developed as a person. And, and of course, he's not developed. And they give him the, these fake teeth, too, to make him have like this rotten grill, dude. They, they, those definitely aren't his real teeth. I know for a fact because you can tell they're like falling out like these these fake dentures that make him make look like he has like the most yellow teeth in the entire world. Um, I, I do, I do feel for him a little bit, especially in the car chase sequence. We were just referring to the night sequence while they're, while they're chasing Jake on the dirt bike. Um, you know, he's frightened. He's scared. And when he's, he's, he's on the passenger side and there's like boxes flying up and trash cans coming at him because, uh, Skank's driving through everything. And, you know, he's not really there because he wants to be. He's there because he has to be. So he's that one character you're like, I kind of feel for this guy. Like out of all the thugs, which you don't feel for really any of them, I would say maybe Rughead a little bit just because he bit. looks kind of weird. <laughs> and it's Clint Howard. How can you Clint not feel Howard. for Clint Howard? But yeah. I mean, in this case, I, I know what you're trying to get for. I know I know what you're trying to get with um, as far as uh, how we feel for Gutter Boy a little bit. Yo, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, Rughead, you know, uh, Clint Howard's character, he's the smart one. You know, he he doesn't like how things are going. He wants to leave the gang. And this is where the Wraith runs his vehicle through the chop shop, killing Skank and Gutter Boy. Um I gotta say, I love the explosion of it. And do you think it was a miniature? Like, I, I feel kind of was. Like, I feel either that or they just had a lot of explosives. It looks like it. It looks like it was. Or at the time, a lot of times in movies, what they would do is just build a very weak shell. Mm. They would use the cheapest wood they could use. They would paint it up within like a couple of hours, maybe a day. And they would just literally make it hollowed out with nothing inside of it and just blow it up. It's entirely possible the way that it's shot, like the angle and everything, that it was full size because the background looks like the same background that we saw earlier when we actually saw the opening the outside right. of the chop shop. So I'm under the impression that it was real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It, the way that the explosion looks, I would have to say, if I had to say one way or the other, it would probably be full size. But um, it definitely wasn't, you know, a building that they they used that had, you know, uh, a full internal system inside of it. It was just a hollowed shell to it. Yeah, it looked really good. It was a really yeah. good explosion. I love it. See, oh, man, it's a great explosion. Full size. Just boom. You don't see that in movies these days anymore. And if you do, you know it's done with computers, so it doesn't really right. feel the same way. No, you know? no. Again, practical effects. Uh, definitely a scene you guys got to check out if you haven't seen it in a while. Um, we got the scene where Loomis talks to Billy, you know, at the at the burger joint. I this is this part I completely forgot about uh, some of the details at least. We find out that Jamie's body never turned up. His, nobody knows who committed his murder. So I guess because he's missing, they thought he was dead. I'm not sure. But Carrie, who was with him that evening, her head got smashed or something. That's the word that was used. Her, her head was smashed and she was found out at some some empty highway the next day wrapped up in a Navajo blanket. Yeah. Um it's all kind of strange to me because they reference him being dead, but you would think they would have had a funeral or yeah. something for him. I don't know. It's There are a lot of things in this movie that 
you don't you shouldn't be digging too deep for because you're gonna find yourself <laughs> in a hole. Um, a plot I hole, guess would you, you say? <laughs> many, many, many plot holes. Um, but if you go along for the ride, I think and that's that's a decent scene. I, I, I have to talk about Randy Quaid a little bit and Sheriff Loomis. Um, I don't know if the name Loomis was intentional because they were fans I, I of Psycho or Halloween. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I feel like he's playing it as Randy Quaid hamming it up times a thousand in this movie. If there is a cartoon character in this movie um, outside of Skank, it probably is Sheriff Loomis. Like everything he does. I mean, from literally he's when when he's got them in custody and and. The police station. He's cutting up paper dolls, and then he chops the heads off. That he like, sh- you know, there's four of them, four paper dolls with their heads cut off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but I understand knowing 80s cinema and loving 80s cinema that that's how movies were made then, and that was supposed to be fun right. and energetic, and it works. It works for me. It still works for me now. But a lot of people now, if they're younger and they watch it, they probably go like, "This shit's stupid." I'd go, you know what? No, that that's just how movies are made, and you should appreciate this and enjoy it. Um, but I think that he does play it a little bit over the top, and I don't know if that's what the direction was. But like I said, this movie overall, in every way that I can think, is really just like a live action cartoon, like a, a very violent, heavier rated cartoon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I like to think, you know, if you remember from that opening sequence when those balls of light were just going down the, uh, you know, the the empty highways and what have you. It goes through like a sign that says, you know, reelect Sheriff Loomis or whatever. It booms right through, a hole yeah. right through him. Yeah. I love that, that, <laughs> that moment. And, you know, I, I feel Randy Quaid was told this. Okay, you're a sheriff. You're being reelected. Go. <laughs> like, that's it. Literally. Yeah. Literally. He probably, lo- he probably looked around. I, I can I can see this in my head right now. He probably looked around. His first day of shooting on the set was with the gang. He probably looked at how they were all dressed, and he's like, I know exactly how I'm going to play this. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, he's sitting there. He's he's eating his nuts. One of my favorite scenes, even <laughs> though it's like it doesn't make any sense at all, but – when he when he's gonna go chase the gang, like they're all speeding away, and he's at the the burger joint, he he's eating his food. Number one, he's taking all the pickles and throwing them off onto the ground. Right, <laughs> and then when he's about to leave, he just takes the tray, and just goes and throws it off, then just drives away. I'm like, I'm sitting here on the couch laughing. My wife's like, that wasn't that funny. I'm like, that shit's funny. Literally, you know, because you don't see characters do that anymore. I mean, like, oh, he's littering. Like, who gives a shit, dude? That's what the character is supposed to do. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally right there with you. I love stuff like that. Um, you know, when I go back and watch these movies, and that's the point of the show. Recently, uh, my son and I, we did Big, you know. and Oh, such a great movie. It's such a great movie. We were watching that, and I was laughing at the littlest of things, and I just look over, and he's just he's got a smirk because he's like, you know, Dad's just a goofball, you know, like... um. It it still works, man. That's what I love about eighty oh, seven. Oh, 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 I know it does. Um, I showed my daughter big uh, last year. I, I picked it up and I showed it to her, and she really enjoyed it. And she had a lot of questions about it. So of course, you know, there are some <laughs> movies that still transcend, you know, the, the era that they're in. And uh, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, a lot of funny moments. Um, so the scene that you're talking about here that actually is right before, um, you know, when the Wraith challenge is Packard. So let's talk about that. I mean, I guess there's not a whole lot to talk about the actual race, but just how Packard dies. He he didn't appear to look like the previous guys, but did you? Is is he? He's dead too, right? You know what's weird, and I'm going back to this again because my wife popped in and out as I was watching this. When we see him laying there, you know, we see Nick Cassavetes laying there on the shell of the vehicle after it's destroyed yeah, without a she's shirt. Like, she's like, he doesn't look dead. Why doesn't he look dead? And I try to explain to her what we d- we discussed earlier in the review that you know. It's it's more of a, 
not safe way to die. I'm trying to find the right word for it, but you know, it, you're not going to see this guy brutal, bloody, uh, right. blown up with his intestines laying all over the place. It's, it's just more of a, you know, a clean break, a clean death. And yeah, it looked a little bit weird, but I mean, so no, I totally get what you're, uh, I, I, I don't know if it was the framing of the scene or what. It, it looked to me that he was just unconscious, you know, like I, I felt like maybe they should have laid him a certain way or something. But there's something about that particular shot that just didn't seem satisfying as a, you know, lead villain's death to me is. No, know. yeah, because usually in the 80s, especially every single villain would usually fell off something and you saw them falling and you knew they were dead. You know, it was like this right. iconic, you know, epic way of them dying. In this case, you're right. Uh, the death occurs, and then we get a, the camera pans in from the right, and then we see him laying there on the frame of the car, and he's just laying there. He's yeah. not, like, damaged really at all, and it just looks like maybe he's taking a fucking nap or something. You know, I don't know. It's, it's true. The previous guys, they, they all had their eyes yeah. removed or whatever. Maybe that, that's what was missing, basically. I, I guess that's maybe that's what it was. If his eyes were missing, then be like, okay, he's dead because we've seen that already. Maybe they were possibly <laughs> thinking in their head they had sequel bait. I don't know. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the the final scene here, uh, where J- uh, Jake, uh, aka Jamie, reveals himself to Carrie. You know, and he's like, hey, you know, you, you've known who I was all along. But let's let's also include him visiting Billy and giving him the car as well. You know, to talk about that, we have to talk about the sex scene, which, okay. um, I mean, Sexy come time. on, you, yeah. you, you watch it as a kid. And I know I'm on your show and not the Epic Film Guys podcast, so I can't get as, uh, let's say, um, dirty as I normally would get because there's ahead. lots of things like it. Go ahead. No, I, no I'm going to have some class because <laughs> I'm, I'm not on your show All right. um, and I care about it. Um, but it's, um, I mean, we get to see a, a full-on sex scene in the movie, uh, you know, and, and I think that's when she realizes. I think subconsciously she knows because she's made love to uh, Jamie before. So I think that that was the whole moment where you're supposed to go. She's the character is supposed to have the realization that oh, it's the same person. You know, connect the dots in her head because you, I mean, just saying from personal experience, you mm-hmm. make love with the same person more than once. It's like the same. You feel it. You feel a certain emotion if you There's love. There's a cadence, yeah, yeah, yeah to, um, to but, that, yeah. So. And of course, uh, this gives the filmmaker a reason to show a beautiful woman, uh, fantastic body, uh, Sherilyn Fenn, um, well, nude from, you know, the top down to her right, waist. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny going back and watching this, you know, watching Twin Peaks after the fact and loving Twin Peaks and going, man, I love her in this, like, you know, in the original two seasons, like really falling for that, for that, for that actress and her character, Audrey. And then like going back and watching this, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's the same person. Oh my God. I get to see her half naked. That's it. That, it's, it's that teenager in me where I'm like, you know, Oh man. Oh it's, God. No, I, yeah, I, um, I actually, so, you know, we, we've already established that I saw this first. And then when yeah. I watched twin peaks, probably, um, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out, but I'm not even get. Uh, I'm getting like five years ago, maybe. That's when I first watched okay. Twin Peaks. I was like, "Who is this Sherilyn Fenn? My, she's she's quite pretty." And I looked around, like that was her from the rave. So this is actually the first time I've seen her in the rave since Twin Peaks. And um, oh man, she's gorgeous. But let's talk about Billy. This is, I think, one of those scenes you're talking about where uh, Matthew Barry has to emote, realizing yes, that Jake that's correct. is his brother. Yeah, Jake leaves him the keys to the car. 
the iconic car that I'm sure if you watched this as a kid, you probably wanted that car. I know mm-hmm. I still want the car. Yep. Um, I want it now, actually. <laughs> I wish I could go outside right now. If I had it, I would go and drive it around right now. Same. Um, you know, but, but he gives him the keys of the car and that's his, his realization moment where he's like, Oh my God, Jake, wait, who are you, bro? Where are you going? And he's like, Oh, Jamie. And he yells it out and he finally realizes it. And you see his eyes start to, to well up and tear up naturally. Um, which is a, a great moment of acting in the film. Uh, that's filled with otherwise, you know, somewhat cartoonish performances. Just saying, just saying yeah. a lot of it is cartoonish. Um, and you kind of feel for him throughout the movie because, you know, this movie, he, he's kind of crapped on. This character is, he's lost his brother. He works at a burger joint. He works really hard. He's very nice. He's he a got friendly his ass kid. Kicked by yeah, he got his ass beat really hard, like in, in a very over the top way. I, I almost know? thought that he gets a shot in. And it was so frustrating to see that he didn't. Like he goes for a punch, winds up, a Packard gets him. Sucker punches him. I would have liked to have seen him at least get a George McFly attempt where he at yeah. least gets up near the head. <laughs> he just kind of raises his arm like this, not even all the way. To, and then he just gets hit. It's like, come on, dude. Oh, he Let flips him. burgers. So, you know, he's never been in a fight in his life. You, come you on. Flipping <laughs> burgers gives you a strong forearm. He should at least get... To, to kind you know, of give an on, elbow to the throat. You, you mentioned his character gets <laughs> shit on. Like, I keep thinking back to the scene where he introduces himself to Jake, the new guy. And he, like, doesn't even want to pay him any attention. Like, Jake is there just for Carrie. You know, that's that was his sole mission. Well, avenge his own death and take Carrie back to, I don't know where the hell they're going. But um, I think this movie right here is a perfect example of an 80s gem that needs to be remade. You think so? You think I the think Wraith so. can be remade now? I think so. Uh, I mean, just think about um, some of these fantastical elements. Like, I think it's you go in and you're having to do a lot of suspension of disbelief. You know, I don't think anybody's going to remake this and, like, try to do a grounded version of it. But I know I can't call this, like, a classic that you can't touch it because nobody's going to go out and just actively seek out a 1986 movie called The Wraith that didn't do very well. Well, here, well here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, and we haven't talked about this yet. And I know I have a lot to talk about this with this movie. Um, but there's a little movie that's based on a comic book series that came out way later um, that's very similar to this that you may have heard of called The Crow. Yes. Starring Brandon Lee. Yeah. Um, which the original graphic novel or comic book didn't come out till 1989. Now, I know a lot of fans listening right now are very familiar with the fact that The Crow had a character named Skank in it as right. well. Yes. And it follows a very similar premise to this. Um, I love The Crow. I think The Crow is a superior film and I think it's, you know, one of the landmarks of the genre, but um, I think this movie was influential without even trying the way that I'd want to see this movie remade. If it got remade is in the same way that a lot of filmmakers now that are our age that love the the era of filmmaking from the eighties is to, to make it from the eighties again, get the car that looks like the car or mm-hmm. get a car similar and, you know, make it low budget, give, give it the same cinematography style and give it, you know, practical car chases. And if you do that, like in the vein of Mad Max Fury Road or something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But not that level of the budget. I think they could do it. Um, yeah. you know, but the, the problem with it is to market it to today's audience without marketing it towards a straight up comic book movie crowd because I'd want to see this shit R. 
I'd want right. to see this shit hard R. I still want the nudity. I still want, <laughs> you know, a little bit more bad language. Cause let's be fair. This film is light for the era. I think it's, it's, it shows a little bit of blood. It shows some nudity. You get a sex scene, but it's, it's still not, it's nowhere near, uh, the level of a lot of R-rated pictures or uh, even some of the PG-13 pictures we were getting at the time. Right. Um, but that, that's one thing for me. If, if I got this movie, I'd be down. I feel like, um, there's an opportunity there for sure. Yeah, I I think so for sure. Um, yeah, I, I I'd like to see that, and hopefully, hopefully it happens. Uh, so a couple ratings online here. Uh, I know it's it's not like the end all be all when it comes to these ratings. Rotten Tomatoes uh, is actually a higher. I, I saw the same thing you saw on I think it was Wikipedia, but Rotten Tomatoes has it currently rotten at thirty three percent. So it's actually gone up a little bit. It's um, gone up six percent. Oh my god! <laughs> and IMDb has it uh, at five point nine. So basically a six. Uh, what do you think about those scores? You know, for a movie like this, I totally get it. You know, I mean, like the cult movie lovers are going to give it a good rating. And I think that people that just stumble upon it on Amazon Prime when it's free to watch, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, late night movie, it may, they may not get it. They may, oh, Charlie Sheen, a movie from the 80s, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll watch it. Um, it's there's there's a certain mindset you have to go in with, with watching these movies and it's not that you have to dumb yourself down to, to a certain level and it's not that you have to turn your brain off i don't agree with that concept at all whatsoever but you have you have to take into consideration when the film was made um the budget and and, and all of those things i mean you're, you're getting yourself into a low budget movie that didn't do well at the box office but i think is a gem and it's very mm-hmm. special and if you like 80s movies in general like i like all of them. I like the bad ones. I like the good ones. Like that's my favorite era of movies that I could just watch every single day of the week. And I know you know this mm-hmm. about yes. me, but I think I think this movie's a gem. I really do. And I think that the one thing to appreciate, especially for action fans, is like, dude, you don't see car chases like this in movies now. If you do, there's CGI used in them. There's ways to make them safer, which I appreciate because we do know someone died tragically on the set of this movie. But I, I kind of like that danger uh, that's involved with this movie. And I like the danger that was involved with real with real car chases in the 80s and 90s because you had to do it for real. If you didn't do it for real, you didn't do it at all and you didn't get the shot in the movie. Um, and there is some iconic imagery with the silhouette of the Wraith. And there's some cool things they do in this that it's way before – it's time, honestly, with, with with the comic book movie generation now and the horror movie generation at the time. It's I think it's fantastic. And I highly recommend it to anyone that just wants to have a fun time. Yeah. You know, um, I agree with all of that. Uh, this movie isn't even that long. It's just a little under hour and a half, you know, so yeah. it's like 89 minutes. So there's that, you know, to kind of just touch on the, the uh, like a possible remake and, and we'll f- wrap up here. But uh, I, I think you know we're st- we're I think we're living in an era here where people are starting to figure out how to do remakes correctly. You know, you fill in the gaps that I, I think is the right way to go. You update this, you fill in the gaps. You know, with some of those plot holes. Um, let's uh, let's touch up on the brother relationship a little bit more because I loved Matthew Barry in that role. I could have used more of him, and maybe that emotional beat will hit us harder at the end. You know, um, maybe a little bit more of Carrie, you know, because I felt she was underutilized. Like, I think, of course, it, yeah. it was the 80s. So she, the she's 80s. literally just, she's a girl, she's a female character. She just has to be there to be there. And yeah, I get it. Yeah. I yeah. agree with that 100%. So yeah, those, those are it. Um, but yeah, just update this and I, I think it'd be great. I, I think it'd be a, a really good watch. Um, but I think first and foremost, like this, uh, the original one, 
definitely watch it for the car cha- uh, car races and and the chasing later on too. Um, I, I really like that. And 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 there's a, there's a couple of points that I have to make real quick mm-hmm. with my because I have not talked about it. Neither of you though this entire time is the soundtrack. Ah yes. Like 80s nostalgia is in hard right now. After Stranger Things came out, literally everything is trying to fall on 80s nostalgia. You've got Ozzy Osbourne, you've got Motley Crue, you've got Billy Idol. I mean, Stan this Bush. soundtrack is yeah, out of print. It's got two songs by a lion on this shit, okay? And Robert Palmer, Addicted to Love, one of the most iconic 80s songs of all time is on this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I went and looked before we recorded to see if I could purchase the actual physical CD of this, because I look every here and there on eBay. I'm an eBay, eBay scavenger, if you want to call me that. Um, and it was $99 Jesus. just to buy a 10, a 10 or 12 song CD. Um, that, and as a huge fan of Synthwave, and for those of you that are not initiated in that, Synthwave is a genre of electronic music, which is all synthesizer based, um, which is an homage to, uh, film scores of the late 70s and early 80s. And the score uh, that Michael Honig did with J. Peter Robinson was fantastic. Fantastic synth score. Um, Those two went off after this to do movies such as The Blob, The Gate, Cocktail, New Nightmare, and Wayne's World. And um, for me, as a huge fan of the synthwave genre, I think it's a fantastic synth score. Um, It has everything that fans of that genre like. So you have the 80s imagery. You have the amazing actual 80s soundtrack with like Motley Crue and Ozzy Asborn, Billy Idol. And mm-hmm. then you have an awesome synth score added to those purple hues, the blue hues with the really cool car with, you know, it's, it's everything. It's the full package. You have to see this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny. You, you kind of mentioned Billy Idol. Rebel Yell was in that garage scene. Um, yeah. Big had Rebel Yell as well. So that was kind of funny. So, uh, yeah, the, I think the soundtrack's pretty amazing. Uh, the score was, was great too. Very 80s. Um, you know, all those, uh, most of the songs are on YouTube. So definitely go check that out. I really love that opening song, Where's the Fire? It ends with it too. The, the Tom Feehan, uh, track. So definitely check that out. But yeah, Justin, thanks again for coming on. I definitely got to get you on more often than once a year, but you know. Anytime, man. I'm always, hey, I, usually if I'm not recording with the Epic Film Guys podcast, I'm usually sitting on my couch, which is five feet from me, <laughs> watching movies like the one we're talking about tonight. So I'm, I'm definitely open to come on anytime. This is an absolute pleasure. It's a movie that I'm glad that I had the opportunity to talk about because to be honest with you, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. I think more people need to talk about this movie and, and get it out there and more people just need to see this movie. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find Epic Film Guys and uh, maybe an upcoming episode uh, they can check out or even a previous one that you're very proud of. Well, actually, I don't know when you're going to release this, but I know it won't be by tomorrow. Um, but upon tonight's recording, we're actually going to release a special B-side minisode of Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, because we're recording on Thursday, July the 12th. And, um, well, tomorrow is Friday the 13th. <laughs> so go check. If you, if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to our episode of Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It's one of my favorite slasher films. Um, you can find all of our episodes at epicfilmguys.com on your favorite podcatcher or pod, pod app, of course. Um, and we are on Facebook at Epic Film Guys, Instagram at Epic Film Guys, Twitter at Epic Film Guys. You get the point. But we definitely appreciate you guys checking us out. Even if you don't like what we have to say, give us a one-star review and tell us why, and we'll try to make ourselves better for you. Um, but we do appreciate every single person that tunes in every single week. 
I like that honesty there about the the one star, you know, and and trying to make yourself better because that's that you know what we can all use the feedback because if you're not listening to an independent podcaster, help us out. Why, you know, and maybe we can yeah. better ourselves. You know, is it the quality? Do we have a guest that's constantly eating or something? You know, something like that. Those are all <laughs> fixable. You know, we all have our pet peeves with with uh you know uh, with shows. Um, but for me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Paul Stalgic. I have a Facebook group page called Paul. Stoutchik and Friends, where I um, basically share anything that I have done, whether it's a guest spot, uh, other shows that I host, because we all know that I do a plethora of them. Um, and I don't, I don't think I promote this enough, but I also covered the entire Cobra Kai series on TV Ate My Brain. Uh, Tom and I from Jake and Tom Conquer the World, we reviewed each episode individually, and we also had five uh, interviews from uh, different cast members as well, so check it out. Uh, that's all I got. Justin, thanks again, uh, and thank you everybody for your continued support. So um, I will see you guys next time. Listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.